Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. And man, what a week for the Rangers. Tons of action this week. Uh, The NHL free agency opened. And the Rangers made a couple of moves, nothing really big. The biggest move being defenseman Patrick Nemeth. Uh, who they signed, who finished the year at Colorado, uh, previously played for the Wings early in the year and actually played for Colorado a couple of seasons before that. But Nemeth's a very big um, six foot three, uh, stay at home defenseman that plays with an edge. I think pretty much every Ranger signing you've seen or any acquisition they've made this uh, offseason has been to get these type of players. Uh, the black and blue shirts they will now be called because it seems like the Rangers are going to beat the crap out of every team they play this year. Uh, it looks like they want to have a very solid top six of goal scorers, a third line of a mix, and then the fourth lines could be bruisers. And um, Nemeth was a the guy they brought in. I think another big reason they brought him in, he is Swedish. Um, he's playing 366 NHL games, 23 playoff games, so he's an experienced defenseman. Um, and because he's Swedish, he can kind of – be a role model for uh, Niels Lundqvist when he comes over uh, and, and hopefully makes the opening day roster for the Rangers. And he's a guy who uh, who can really kind of take uh, Lundqvist under his wing and show him around how to be, you know, how to play in the NHL, how to conduct himself as an NHL player. So I think that's really important. And that's something I think uh, I saw a couple um, Ranger writers were writing about that they didn't do for Capo Kaka when he came over from Finland. There's no Finnish guy in the team. So, um, you know, Brendan Smith was a guy who took him under a wing, under his wing, and Smith was learning uh, Finnish, you know, how to speak Finnish, I think, from Rosetta Stone. So um, having a guy from his own home country there I think is super important, especially on defense, and probably playing on the third pairing with him is really important. So I thought that was a really good signing for the Rangers. And then after that, they bring back an old familiar face, uh, Greg, uh, Greg McKegg. So McKegg, yeah, he was there with the Rangers two years ago. Um he didn't play for them this last year. He played for the uh, uh, Bruins this last season. Uh, actually played most of the season in the AHL. But, I mean, McKegg's a good uh, depth center, you know, plays fourth line, can kill penalties. He played in all three Ranger bubbles playoff games uh, the year before. Uh, he had played in a career-high 53 games of the Rangers that 2019-20 season. He's played in 190 NHL games. So, you know, he's a guy who can fill in the fourth line. Um I did see it was a two-way deal, so he can go between Hartford and New York without having to clear waivers, which is really important right now, um, especially when you look at the Rangers depth-wise. You, know, you want to have those guys that you can kind of bounce back and forth and not have to worry about losing them uh, to waivers. So I think McKegg is another solid signing for them. Uh, you know, a guy who he's over 50, he's just about 50% for face-offs for his career. Um, his last year, he was actually very good in the face-off circle uh, down the AHL as well, so... Uh, I thought that was a good signing depth-wise. And then, you know, we get to some uh, some heavy hitters. Uh, Jared Tenorti, who's a six foot six hulking defenseman. Um, his biggest thing this last year was he fought Tom Wilson. So, I mean, everything the Rangers are doing are, is kind of focused around, uh, you know, the Tom Wilsons and the Matt Martins of the world and how they got beat up by Carolina in that playoff bubble series how they wanted to get tougher. So, Tenorti was a guy that, you know, has experience, has had two career fights against Tom Wilson, and uh, that probably was good enough to earn him a contract with the Rangers. He played 14 games this last season with the Bruins, 
uh, played in four playoff games. I believe he played a handful of games for Nashville, too. Uh, yeah, seven games for Nashville earlier in the season. Then he was placed on waivers and picked up by the Bruins and finished the season with them. Uh, his dad, Mark, some of our older listeners might remember him. Uh, Mark played in the 90s. Uh, he played 12 Angel seasons. Or he played the 80s and the 90s, but he played 12 Angel seasons. And he played, I think it was his first year with the Rangers. So um, there is some family ties there back to the blue shirts. Uh, but, I mean, you look at his highlights, you know, a lot of fights, big physical guy, former first-round pick of the Canadians back in 2010. Um, he'll probably fill in that seventh defenseman now that Brendan Smith has moved on to the Carolina Hurricanes, who, by the way, I think they signed like six former Rangers this week. I think they have seven or eight former Rangers down there in Carolina now. So we used to make fun of Tampa for being the Tampa Bay Rangers with all the guys they brought in. But, I mean, Carolina is one up in them big time. I mean, it is really the Carolina Rangers. They have Step on there now, D'Angelo, Brendan Smith, uh, Brady Shea, um, uh, Yester Fost. Uh, there's a couple. I think there's two more guys that they signed this last week. They were former Rangers. So uh, definitely a team. And they'll be. You know, now that you know everyone's playing each other, you know you'll see Carolina a lot more this year. Um, so I mean, they're a team that definitely you'll see a lot of familiar faces on when they play each other. And I think D'Angelo, you know, is a guy that probably can't wait to get back to play the Rangers either. So that'd be definitely pretty interesting when they first match up against Carolina. Uh, the last guy they signed, Drayden Hunt, is an interesting guy. He signed a two-year deal. The first year, I believe, is a two-way. The second year is a one-way. Um, it's just an interesting guy. The guy loves to throw the hits. I mean, loves to throw the body around. He had 94 hits in 26 games this year. That's almost a 300-hit pace over an 82-game season. So this guy loves to throw the body around. Uh, he's skated in 89 career NHL games. Yeah, he's got 23 points in those games. He's played. He's really put up some good points, actually, at the AHL level. He's averaging .7 points per game at the AHL level, put up 150 career points in 214 games there. Um, before Arizona, he played a couple seasons for the Florida Panthers. Um, you know, I'm not too sure if he starts a year with the Rangers or if he starts at Hartford, but uh, he's a guy, obviously, the Rangers are targeting these kind of hard-nosed physical players. Um, you know, is he a guy that can you know, fit into that fourth line, possibly? You know, see some third-line minutes of some guys out as a depth guy? He's only 25 years old, so... Um, yeah, maybe he's a guy that, because he's on a two-way deal, bounces back and forth between Hartford and, and New York most of the season. But just a really interesting guy. Look at analytics, kind of like him. It looks like there's upside to his game. So um, he was probably the most interesting signing of the day uh, with some upside there, obviously because of his AHL production. But, I mean, you see 94 hits in 26 games, that jumps off the paper at you. I mean, that's that's no joke. That guy, <laughs> that guy loves to hit people. So, um that's a guy to watch, uh, possibly in training camp to see what kind of impact he makes. And then from re-signing, Philip Heedle re-signed a two-year deal or $2.3 million per year. Um, kind of saw this coming on. You know, you knew Heedle was probably going to take a bridge deal. Um, you know, the Rangers continue to shop. I don't know if they're shopping him or just shop in general. Obviously, Jack Eichel is still in play. I think he'll be in play for the next three years if, <laughs> if Buffalo doesn't get rid of him now. Um I know Eichel's agents have repeatedly come out now and said they're not happy with the process, and basically Jack wants out now. Um, the Rangers just are not giving in to the Buffalo demands currently. Um, I did see that you know Larry Brooks put out a thing. Maybe they include Kako in there, and Buffalo will take some some salary back. And if you if they take salary back and you can keep Ryan Strom, uh, that's kind of a home run if you can keep those three defensemen. I'm sorry, those three centers and Zabanjad, Strom, and Eichel somehow together. Yeah, you probably got to give up Heedle on that deal with Kako, but um, that's an interesting. It's interesting to, to hear Kako's name get thrown in there just because the Rangers have been holding out because they don't want to add the prospects. Um, but if Buffalo is retaining salary somehow, that's a, you know easier pill to swallow. But the Eichel thing will never die. It'll never die for the Rangers. It, it seems like he's the guy that... Every week, if he's not traded, we'll somehow have a rumor back to the Rangers. And until he's either traded to New York or he's traded somewhere else, uh, that's not going away anywhere. So, unfortunately, it's a really bad situation up there in Buffalo. And his agents say that he can come in and play tomorrow. They're saying that once he gets his whatever procedure done, that he can be ready for opening night. So, you know, obviously a team like New York or whoever wants wants to acquire him, they want to get this done ASAP so he can get this procedure done that Buffalo does not want him to get done. 
and he can be ready for for opening night or at least you know early in the season opposed to missing you know most of the year with the you know having some kind of corrective surgery on his neck so uh that that situation is just it's a soap opera that'll play out for a long time the next extension uh the big rumor today we're recording this monday afternoon uh igor shesterkin signed is as close to a multi-year possible five to six year extension worth in the five and a half to six million dollar range so a big payday for Igor Shesterkin looks like it's coming up um and I think he's the guy of the future I think there's no doubt about that um I know Gorgiev came out and his agent apparently said they you know the rumor was he wants to be traded and his agent said he doesn't want to be traded but they're open to being traded so if you're open to being traded it sounds like you want to be traded um, without saying it, um, so if you do return to the team, there's no ill, you know, ill will in the locker room with your teammates. Um, but yeah, I think if you give Eeyore an extension like that, you're, you're kind of saying to Gorgiev, you're not really part of the future here, especially with him making two and a half million or whatever he's making per year. So um, I would think Gorgiev gets moved sooner than later if Igor does sign that type of a deal coming up. And then the big trade of the week: the Rangers acquire. Probably the toughest man in the NHL, Ryan Reeves, from the Golden Knights of uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, for a third-round draft pick in 2022. Um, so they they traded Brett Howden for a fourth rounder. They got back. Uh, and they get uh, Reeves for a third rounder. So basically, they traded Howden for Reeves. But I mean, Reeves for years has said that he is the Tom Wilson neutralizer. Uh, and they had that bad blood against in the world in the um, Stanley Cup Finals a couple years ago. They've squared up many times over the last couple of years. This was clearly a move to neutralize uh, Wilson. Uh, I just, I, I don't know if he plays every night. I don't know if he only plays against teams that, you know, have a big guy out on the ice. You know, I don't know how they use him. Obviously, Gallant liked him a lot when he was in Vegas. Um, they're, you know, they've, he's played for him before. Um you know, Ranger fans seem they're not too thrilled about it, especially because the Rangers gave him a one-year extension when he came. I have to think that might have been part of a deal for him to get moved, um, that that was negotiated beforehand. So they did give him a one-year, $1.75 million extension uh, for the following season. So, yeah, they have now a legit heavyweight fighter on the team. They have all these guys that, you know, they've added these little pieces that are all kind of agitators, and Tenorti's a big fight. You know, he can drop the gloves. And uh, Nem is a guy who's a big, tough guy. So, you know, the Rangers are targeting a certain type of player, and they're going all in on these guys. And obviously, uh, they 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 know they need to get tougher, and they've done that. But it comes to a point where when do you say stop and maybe add a couple skill guys to a depth position? Um, I, I don't know, because they haven't added anything skill-wise. They've, if anything, they've lost with Buchnevich leaving. So... And I wouldn't say Goodrow is a skill guy. I would say he's more of a grinder who you give a big contract to that will play in the third line for you. Uh, but, you know, you're really relying a lot on those young kids in the top six. You know, you're really hoping that Kako does break out in his third year. You're hoping Lafreniere breaks out in his second year. Um, you know, you need, you need Panarin and Zabanjad to stay healthy all year long or else you're really in trouble there. Production, you need Chris Kreider to not disappear halfway through a season. Uh, and, and play up to his 30-goal potential. Because if you don't, you're not getting much offense out of this bottom six, to be honest with you. You know, a lot of these guys are not point put up, you know, they don't put up points as well as play tough. They're mostly just grinders. So, you know, it's really important for these young kids to take that extra step this next year or else the Rangers are going to try to beat teams 2-1 to one all year long. And, uh, and I don't know how successful that's going to be. I understand you have, you know, one of the top offensive defenseman in, in hockey and Adam Fox, but there's only so much offensive load you can put on him uh, before you, you really hurt his defensive game uh, if he keeps on jumping into the play. So and another thing to keep your eye on with the Rangers, I just I feel like there's another move that's going to come that's going to be more of an offensive player maybe. Um, not a huge deal, but I'm saying some depth offensive guys that can score. Uh, but other than that, I think the roster is pretty much set for what you're going to see next Next year on opening night, I don't see a lot of big additions that you could possibly add to this team. Um, but we have an awesome guest this week. We have former New York Ranger and NCAA champion at Union, uh, Matt Bodie. So Matt currently is playing in the German League in the Dell, 
and the guy's become a superstar over there since he's jumped overseas. Um, you know, he, people say he's one of the top defensemen in the German league now. So we sat down with him and talked about his whole career. Uh, he shared some really good stories from the championship running union, you know, playing in the Rangers organization, uh, and then jumping overseas. He shared some cool stories about playing over uh, in Russia and um, and now in Germany. But before we send out our interview with Matt, let's send out to our sponsors of Magic Hockey and Eddie Olchek to tell you more about them. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Hello, everyone. It's Eddie Olchek. Give a shout out to everybody at Magic Hockey. You guys are on the verge of uh, launching a new stick. Uh, I guess the correct verbiage is one of the lightest twigs on the market. So I wish you all the best of luck. Hopefully there's lots of goals and assists in those. And uh, maybe for some defensemen and forwards that can't score, uh, maybe some uh, poke checks and back checks with that light twig. So Best of luck to everybody at Magic Hockey, and I'm sure I'm going to be following you all at magichockey.com. We are now joined by former New York Ranger and current German Hockey League star. I'm going to say star. He has had a monster season there for ERC Ingolstadt. I think I just said that correctly. Matt Bodie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I should end there also NCAA champion as well with Union College. I'll add that to the intro as well. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a good time, good memories, and a great group of guys we had. Uh, so growing up in Manitoba, so uh, what hockey team were you rooting for since I think the Jets probably left when you were a kid? So who was, uh, who was the team you rooted for? Yeah, uh, the Jets did leave when I was about uh, six years old. I actually remember being at the uh, last ever regular season game there with my family, so that's some great memories. Uh, since they've come back, obviously been sharing for the Jets, but uh, growing up I was uh, invested in the Avalanche and uh, heavily uh, intrigued and excited by that uh, Red Wings Avalanche uh, rivalry. So who was your guy? Uh, I loved uh, Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg up front. And then uh, on the back end, uh, Sandus Oslinch. So you were known as an offensive defenseman. Were you a forward growing up or were you always a defenseman? I started uh, as a forward until I was about 13. And then uh, I had a coach uh, just kind of thought I thought the game better as a defenseman. And uh, he moved me back and it kind of worked out ever since. So you play midget hockey in Winnipeg and you, you played for the Winnipeg Thrash, which was a very good triple uh, A team. And you guys played, uh, you finished, uh, you won the silver, the TELUS Cup, which is a very big uh, tournament up there in Canada. And you were the uh, MVP of the tournament. So what was that like? Uh, and also you had quite the teammate there. You were the top defensive player and Mark Stone, people might know who he is, NHL superstar now for <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights and captain for them was a top offensive player. So how did you guys lose to the two of you? You know, we had a, a real good group of guys. Uh, we actually went 40-0 in the regular season in Manitoba. Then we swept the playoffs. Um, we lost one game at the regional. And then we were able to beat that team 
to, to make it to the Telus Cup. And then, uh, you know, we just, we couldn't quite finish the deal. Uh, we went 6-0 and leading up to that final game. And then uh, I think we all shot them something like 40-13. to 13 And, you know, we just, we just couldn't quite uh, close a score. I think it was a, maybe a 5-3 game or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I really thought we controlled that game. But it just, that's just the way it goes with those single elimination games. So how good was Stone back then? Obviously, he was the offensive player, but you took home the MVP accolades. But how good was he as a, a youth player? He was great, yeah. He was still young at the time. He was playing as a, a 15-year-old, which, uh, you know, it happens, but the impact sometimes isn't there from a 15-year-old in, in the midget ranks up in Canada there. Uh, but you could tell right away he, he just had that hockey sense. Uh, skating wasn't... I guess his strong suit at the time, but he just was always in the right place. Uh, as you see now with uh, the amount of turnovers he creates, he had that way back then too. And he had great hands. He could always make the play. So really not surprised that he's, he's become the player he has. And, uh, you know, he's worked hard for everything he's got. And for our American listeners, I'm not going to lie to you, about 85% of our listeners are from America. Can you explain what the TELUS Cup is? And it is a very big deal, though, for you know junior hockey up there. Yeah, so it's the national uh, the national tournament, and uh, I believe they bring in teams from four different regions. Uh, kind of two provinces kind of compete for one spot, and then uh, Ontario sends a team. And I believe it, it. It's I can't remember the exact number of teams, but I think it's six. You play five round robin games, and then there's a, a semifinal and a final. So it, it's it's a tough tournament. You play if you make it all the way to the final. It's seven games and seven nights, so it, it's quite a bit. And, you know that was that was a great great memory to to be able to play in that. And then you moved over to the BCHL and played for the Powell Knights. Uh, sorry, Powell Kings. Was there any thought that you going to play in any other junior leagues other than the BC League? No, you know, at that point, I had already kind of uh, decided I wanted to try the uh, college route in uh, the States. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I, I was always under the impression that the BC League was the best at uh, getting scholarships for players and making guys make that jump to the to the uh, next rank of college hockey. And um, I guess the first player that I knew personally to, to do that was uh, Travis Zajac. Um, he went out and played in Salmon Arm in British Columbia, and then his brother followed him. My brother was good friends with uh, Trav's brother, so that was kind of the path kind of put in front of me, and I, I thought it was a good one, so uh, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, you had two monster offensive years there. You were the rookie of the year the first year, and then uh, you were the best defensive player your second year, so obviously ton of success. When it comes to your college decision from there, uh, what schools were looking at you, and I guess uh, what was the decision between? Um, I, I was talking to Bemidji State early on as a, a younger player. Um, talked to Michigan Tech, talked to Merrimack. Uh, Union obviously was right in on me from the beginning, and uh, they, they were the one that kind of jumped out for me. I visited campus, really enjoyed the campus. Uh, but the deciding factor really was uh, my brother was playing a year ahead of me at Union. So uh, that comfort level and, you know, being able to play three years with my brother who until that uh, junior, I had one year of junior together with him until then I hadn't been able to play with him. So knowing we'd get at least three years together was uh, a, a good selling point. So you get on campus at union and uh, immediately make an impact. You're all ECAC rookie team. Uh, your goalie that year, Keith Kincaid, the currently uh, the Rangers, uh, one of their backup goalies now, He's quite the character. Uh, what was he like back then? He was he was a, a great above me, and uh, you could just tell he had uh, he had that positional awareness to, to make an impact at the next level. You know, it's tough to. I mean, I'm not a scout, but it's, it's tough to tell if a goalie is going to be able to make that next jump. You got some very athletic guys in college, and maybe some undersized goalies that that can't make that jump. And with Keith, he was just always on top of his game, uh, very steady in his net, very confident. So, um, you know, it's good to see him have uh, having the career he's been having out of Union College. So, again, your sophomore year, you picked the right up where you were. You were a second-team All-American, ECAC champions, uh, first-team All-Star ECAC. So, I guess as you settled in the college, 
what was the biggest adjustment from you going from, you know, the midget and BC hockey to uh, college hockey for you? It was definitely the size um, and the strength. Uh, the UCAC is obviously known as that kind of a, uh, a grinding league and, and a lot of big bodies um, tight defensively as well. So uh, that's something you don't see quite as much in the BC league, uh, a little bit more skill, a little bit more wide open. So that, that was an adjustment, uh, just the style of play, but, you know, you get to college and uh, you're playing against guys that are in their early 20s as opposed to, you know, the teens in, in junior and midget. So uh, you really see yourself playing against like fully grown men. So I would say that was the biggest difference for me. Your junior year, again, you guys win the ECAC champs and then your senior year comes around. Uh, you just have a, a huge year. You get your team captain. You guys go on to win the NCAA championship. Your first team All-American. All tournament ECAC first team, any award you can win, you won it that year. Um, you know, you had Shane Gosfair also on defense. You guys must have been the highest point producing defensive pair in the country that year. Uh, how special was that year and how did it all come together? Uh, it, it was a long time coming to, to get Union to a national championship squad. I remember uh, uh, just taking it back a little bit. My freshman year, uh, we made it to the tournament for the first time and uh, you know, it took us getting there and feeling the agony of defeat to, to really understand how, how tough it's going to be. Uh, sophomore year, we made it to the Frozen Four, so that was another step. Uh, we lost in the regional final junior year. So we were, we were right there almost all, all four years for our class. And then, uh, you know, everything just came together. We had a great group of guys. Um, everyone just really believed, you know, going into every game we were going to win didn't happen that way, but we, we really had that belief. And then uh, we just went on a magical run kind of the start of the new year that season. I think we, we ended on like a 17 game on beat streak, something like that. And like I said, we were just a, a confident group, really believed in each other. Everyone really bought into the systems the coaches were putting out. And, uh, you know, we were able to do it as a small school, which was a really special. Um, so following that, following your college, great college career, you're an undrafted free agent. Um, one, did you think you would be drafted before in your draft year? Did you think there was a chance of you getting drafted or is that something that was kind of, um, you know, not really on the radar? Um, no, I don't think it was really on the radar. Um, I, I just always kind of wanted to make an impact at the next level. Every, everywhere I went, you know, from uh, midget, I wanted to be able to go to junior and be an impact player and then from junior to college and so on. Um, so my draft year, I was playing in the, the BCHL and, uh, at that point I was just focusing on, you know, trying to help my team win there. Uh, didn't hear a lot about draft chatter. There there's a couple things that said, you know, maybe a late round pick, but I never thought too much into it. And then, uh, when you get to college, it's just all about improving. And, uh, I was able to, to sign with the Rangers after college because of it. Did you go to any development camps while you were in college? I uh, went to the Blackhawks twice, uh, and then, uh, the Rangers, uh, obviously after. Yeah. So you signed with the Rangers and uh, so what was that process like? Cause obviously you were a, you know, a high ticketed college free agent that came out, um, you know, based off of your play and everything else. So how many teams were looking at you and what was that process like? Um, you know, I don't, I didn't have a ton of teams looking at me, but uh, definitely felt comfortable with, uh, you know, signing with the Rangers. It, it was kind of close to where I've been stationed for the past four years of my life. And, uh, thought there was going to be an opportunity to, to get a chance to play and uh, was able to develop in Hartford there. Um, just came down to, uh, you know, finding a team that wanted you and then thinking that you'd be able to develop as a person, as a player. So you get to New York, you had the first training camp. Was there any like welcome to the NHL moment you had in that first camp? I mean, just kind of looking in the dressing room and seeing some of the legends that were on the roster at the time. Uh, you know, St. Louis was there and uh, Rick Nash. So these are guys that I've been watching and following since I was a young kid. And, you know, seeing the skill that they had on the ice was, uh, it was, it was eye-opening. But, uh, you know, you just try and be as comfortable as you can out there and have fun and just remember, you know, it's a game you've been playing your whole life. And I got to ask, I think I asked every guy, but playing in front of Henrik Lundqvist, what was that like? Is there just like an all that come like an aura around him as he's Steve's eats buck? It's pretty cool because, 
you know, as a defenseman, you, you want to be able to trust the guy behind you. And, uh, you know, with, with Lundqvist back there, you kind of just think, all right, like, even if I, you know, make a mistake here, he seems like a guy that's probably making that save anyways. So, yeah, I have a little bit more confidence to, to make some plays and stay up in the play. So it, it was pretty cool. Now, how vocal is he on the ice with the defense? Yeah, he's telling you where to go, if I remember correctly. You know, I didn't play in front of him a whole lot, but yeah. uh, he's, he was always telling guys where to go. And, you know, I, I like that as a defenseman. I like it that uh, goalie kind of being the last eyes. And, you know, he sees the whole play. So he's telling you what to do. You better listen. And you were the Rangers for three years or part of three years. Um, in those camps in that time, were there any veterans that kind of took you under your like their wing and kind of showed you along? Um. You know, they're all a great group of guys. Uh, obviously, McDonough was uh, a class act through and through, and you know, it's great to see him winning the Cups and having such a huge part of it. Uh, I think any organization would be. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF happy and lucky to have him at the helm and that's uh that was the strongest voice when i was uh there um and then uh, in hartford uh, tanner glass was, was a great guy uh, he came down and was a true professional and kind of showed guys how to act as pros and you know what it takes to get to the next level so those are the two guys that kind of stand out and you had a really good first year um with hartford you led the team in plus minus um, you love the decor in assists. You actually, let, I think you let all the AHL and and rookie uh, in assists too that year. Um, so what was I guess the biggest adjustment for you going into that first full year playing the American Hockey League? Uh, it was probably just the grind. Uh, in college, you're playing two games a weekend. Uh, you know your schedule is pretty set in stone. Um, lots of practice time. Uh, you switch over to pro and. You know, the American League is still a developmental league, but you're playing a lot of games, a lot of three and threes, a lot of, you know, four game uh, in, in one week kind of schedules. And uh, it's tough to be to be at your best every single game, but you got to figure out how to how to play well when you're not feeling your best. And I think that was something I did pretty well my first year, just uh, making sure you're, you're ready to go every single game, because, you know, certainly if maybe you're playing Sunday three and three in Bridgeport. It's uh, it's tough to be blaring and ready to go but uh it's <laughs> pro. how tough are those like 11 a.m camp games yeah you know that, that's another thing you're just not really used to like i remember there's a couple school games and the whole crowd just screaming kids and some of them were <laughs> are just there and you know having a good field trip or whatever it might be but like you, you got to be ready to go because there's always people watching and you know every game's important uh, so your second year there, uh, towards the end of the season, you get named captain for Hartford. Uh, what did that mean to get named captain there and just get be recognized as a leader on that team? Yeah, it was for sure an honor. Um, you know, we had a uh, Ryan Bork was the captain before, and they got moved at the deadline, and that's when I took over. Uh, anytime you're uh, recognized as a leader, it's uh, it's very humbling. But you know, you just go out and 
play as hard as you can and, you know, act, act the way you always do. And hopefully your, your teammates respect that. and uh, You guys can be a winning team kind of thing. And if I remember, you, you got a call up that season. Did you not? Uh, no, no. Or was just, it the following year? Um, I thought, actually, yeah. uh, oh, I thought you got called up, but didn't come into the game. I thought that I saw that. Um, for the, uh, the playoff runs. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of last line of, uh, Last line of healthy bodies, if you will. <laughs> um, all right. So that year, again, you had another really good year. You you uh, led all defensemen in points. Uh, you tie for the team leading assists. Um, and like you said, like you black gauge for the Rangers that playoffs. What is it like going up there for those playoff runs like that and, and watching those guys just lock in for those, you know, for the eventual chase for the cup? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to be part of because, uh, you know, that's what every hockey player dreams of winning the cup and to, to, to be there and see, see a couple of the runs that the, uh, the Rangers were able to go on. Uh, it was pretty cool to watch. And, uh, you know, anything that you can do as a, an extra guy to kind of help and you just uh, put your best foot forward and enjoy the ride. So two guys I want to talk about that you played down in Hartford with. Uh, first, Brady Shea. Um, you know, you were there for his first, you know, full um, pro season. Obviously, the Rangers moved on from him, uh, but he's a guy Ranger fans always have a soft spot for. Uh, so what was it like seeing him develop uh, down there that full year in Hartford? Uh, he made a lot of strides that first year. Um, it's tough as the D-man to go straight from college to the NHL. And, uh, I thought he used his time well in the American League. Um uh, but with Shazy, he was just a great skater all around, you know, big body and he can skate like a small guy. Uh, so those are definitely his strengths. And, you know, kind of once he grew into the def- defensive side of the game, he, he was ready to make an impact. And obviously everybody's seen that in the uh, NHL the past few years. Are there guys when you're down there that you see them when they first come in, they're like, you, you can recognize like, yeah, that guy's going to play the next level. Is there something that you can tell in a player? I think so. Yeah, there, there's definitely guys that uh, you either play with or sometimes you're playing against. And you're thinking, yeah, this guy, this guy doesn't belong down here. He's gonna be making making the jump pretty soon. And uh, you know, Shazy was definitely a guy you could tell he was making that jump and uh, just kind of took the, the Rangers blue line to get a little bit less clogged because they had a lot of older veterans when uh, he was coming into the league to to get him a spot. But uh, you knew right away he was he was going to be an NHL player. Uh, the other guy I want to ask you about is Ryan Graves. So he had a very good, uh, you know, run with the Rangers in Hartford. I think he was an all-star for them down there too. Um, they moved him out at the trade deadline. I think right when you actually got moved out as well around then. Um, that was a surprise a lot of Ranger fans. And now he's just got traded back to New Jersey. So we're going to see a lot more of him. So his name has been uh, hot in a lot of Ranger talk. So why do you think the Rangers moved on from him? And uh, And I guess, you know, I thought he was a really good player for them. Yeah, you know, sometimes it just takes a guy, uh, you know, a fresh start from a different organization to, to really see that potential through. Um, you know, with Gravy, uh, he was a good player for the Wolfpack. And unfortunately, the, at the time, the Wolfpack were, were struggling a little bit. We, uh, we weren't one of the top teams in the American League. And, you know, sometimes losing takes your toll on guys, especially some younger players. So I think, uh, you know, maybe you got a breath of fresh air going to a new organization, and obviously he's made the most of that. Yeah. Been a, been a great player for the Avs the past couple of years, and now he goes to hopefully a good spot in New Jersey, and maybe the Rangers will be, be kicking themselves a little bit for letting uh, a monster like him go, you know. And I think they will. I, I was joking around with there's a guy who also has a podcast on the network who's a big Ryan Graves fan. He's like, oh, man, he's going to get a big, big spot in New Jersey. I'm like, yeah. I wish him all the best, kind of. I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's tough to root for a guy once he puts on the red jersey. Yeah. Um, so your third season there, uh, there's also a funny little, I guess, not a curse, but uh, it seems like anytime someone's named captain of the Wolfpack, they get traded. Uh, it's been kind of going on, like you said, from Bork before you, and then um, I forget who was it, uh, Schneider after you. So it seems like they just had a bunch of guys that become captain, they trade them out. Um, but you get traded in your third season with the team, and you're having a great year. You have 30 points in 40-something games. Uh, you know, you actually led all the D in scoring, even though you left half the year. Um, but was that trade a surprise to you, or was that something you were kind of hoping for? Uh, I, I think that was something that was talked about a little bit. Uh, you know, everyone in the American League wants to make that jump. And uh, we were talking with Rangers management uh, kind of throughout the season. It was, uh, you know, 
they wanted to bring me back and start an American League again. And, you know, if, if that opportunity wasn't going to come with the Rangers to, to maybe give me a shot somewhere else. So, you know, I was appreciative that they uh, held their end of the bargain up there and gave me a shot in Buffalo there. And uh, that's kind of how that one went down. Was there a sense of frustration, though, from you just because of the level of play that you showed in your first full two years there that um, you, know, you didn't get some of the call-ups that were happening? Yeah, I think so. Anyone who, who didn't get called up, uh, thinks, who thought they had a case to get called up, would, would certainly be frustrated. Uh, you just, just try and go out and play as hard as you can. Um, you know, I was going up against some some good defensemen for those uh, call-ups as well, you know, McElrath and Shazy, so you can't be too upset, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, if they don't pick you this time, you just go out and play hard the next one and hopefully you get a shot the next time. Talk about Dylan McElrath. What was he like in a locker room? Obviously he was up and down a lot in his Ranger career. He, he was a great guy. Great guy to have around. Uh, lot, lots of humor coming out of him in the locker room. And then on the ice, he's, he's all business. And, uh, you know, I was his D partner for, for a while there, there in Hartford and, uh, I thought we clicked really well together and we actually went on a pretty good run. My first, my first year in the playoffs there. And he was, he was certainly a big part of that. And uh, he was rewarded with uh, making the team in auto camp next year. So when you're on the ice, with a guy like that, can you play a little more freer knowing that he's got your back out there? And um, you know, if anything physical were to happen, he's obviously going to be the man to step right in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's, that, that role is kind of diminishing a little bit in the, the NHL and I guess pro hockey, but uh, I, I was glad uh, Mac was on the ice with me quite a bit and always had our back. <laughs> it, it was uh, it was fun to see him get going sometimes for, for sure. Uh, so you end up in Buffalo. So what was that? You only played 17 games in Rochester, but what was that experience like playing for them? It was good. It was, it was nice to see uh, how, how a different organization was run. Uh, just, you know, to see the pros and cons between the two. Uh, I thought we had a really good team. Unfortunately, uh, before I got there, there, there was a lot of injuries and uh, a lot of call-ups. So they are kind of out of the running for a Calder Cup uh, playoff spot. But, you know, once once I got there and guys started getting healthy, we actually went on a bit of a run. So it was a good group of guys, but it was unfortunate we couldn't uh, kind of extend that through the playoffs. So following offseason, you're a free agent. Um, what was that process like? Uh, you eventually signed with Tampa, but what was that like for you as a free agent looking for, uh, you know, looking for a new team? Uh, it was kind of similar to signing out of college. You're looking for a team that a wants you, uh, kind of values you as a player, as a person, and then a team that you think is going to be able to give you a chance to to play at that next level. Um, and, and Tampa, for me, they've done a great job of uh, developing guys. Uh, Syracuse was always a, a tough team to play against. And, uh, you know, I thought that was a good, a good spot for me to go continue to develop and uh, maybe get a call up. Uh, it didn't, didn't happen, but uh, had a lot of fun playing with that, that group in Syracuse. And it was a very young team, but uh, we were pretty successful as well. So that training camp at Tampa, I mean, they pretty much have the entire core that's there that just won the last two cups was there when you were there. Uh, so you step on the ice with, you know, Hedman's on defense, Vasilevsky was there as a goalie, um, you know, Stammer and Kucherov and Point were all there. So what was that like, that first training camp with them? The, the amount of skill there was uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, the guys were making plays that uh, you don't see too often. And uh, just being around that group, you can tell there's something special there. Uh, I think a couple of years prior, they were maybe in the cup final. Or yeah. The cup. Uh, so you knew they were right there, uh, and and sometimes it just takes takes a little bit to find. Uh, you, you see teams in all, all pro sports; they go through a couple terrible losses in the playoffs or regular seasons where they're not quite there. They go through that, and then that's when their their championship comes in the next couple of years or whatever. And that that was kind of what I was feeling. You know, they they missed the playoffs the year before I got there because. Uh, they had a ton of injuries, wiped out a lot of their roster. And uh, since they've been a perennial playoff contender or winner. So they're, they're doing something right down there in Tampa. Was there one of those guys when you were there that you kind of like, you know, not that you watched, obviously you're practicing, but is there a guy that kind of like, you know, took you away by how good they were? 
Uh, it's probably Kucherov, yeah. Just the things yeah. he could do with the puck, and you know, it really was just a game for him. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was just having fun out there. So it, it was good to see, and uh, that level of skill you really don't see too often. Any one-on-one drills? Uh, not that I can recall. Or just one-on-one, but you know, a couple times coming down two-on-one and just making you feel silly with how you're playing and kind of thing. <laughs> He does it to the NHL guys too, so I can't feel too bad. How about Vasilevsky? What was he like uh, seeing him in practice? Uh, just a competitive goalie. Uh, obviously, now he's probably got the title of world's best goalie mm-hmm. or right, right around there, but uh, he was just so competitive too, you know, battling on every puck in practice. Some goalies, you know, they'll make the first save and then not really care about the rebound or the second chance. He was, he was fighting everyone like it was the, the cup playoffs. And obviously, it's paid off for him. Uh, so, I mean, you have a really good year with Syracuse. Uh, you have, you're a plus 32 player, which is an insane uh, number to lead the team there. You, you lead all D-men scoring again. You're third in the team in assists. Um, and you end up making a jump over the KHL the next season. Was there any thoughts of sticking uh, in America, or is there you always want to kind of jump overseas to try to get another opportunity? Um. You know, there there definitely was uh, thoughts to stick stick around, but uh, at the same time, you know, I thought maybe I could go to the KHL, uh, maybe have a really good season there, and then maybe open open some doors in a different direction, not the traditional route to the NHL. Um, so so I thought it was time to try something other than the American League, and uh, that's kind of ultimately what led me over to Nizhny. Yeah, the good thing you said it because I was trying. I was gonna call it torpedo. Um, so, what was that experience like? Like, uh, you know, you hear some some horror stories, some great stories. So, what was your experience like over there? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's chief medical officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I enjoyed it. Uh, we had a good, good group of guys, good group of imports that we hung around with a lot. Um, it is, it is kind of like a different world over there. Just, uh, seeing some of the things. Um, but for the most part, I had a really good time. Uh, I enjoyed my time there. Unfortunately I got injured, uh, broke three bones throughout the course of the season. So it always kind of felt like as soon as I was healthy, another little crack in the armor came, but, uh, no, it was a good time. Did you have any of the Russian gas over there? Uh, no, I didn't take any of that stuff, but uh, they're always trying to to make you feel as good as you possibly can. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I talked to Chad Kalarik, and he, uh, what was he had? Uh, they were taking some kind of horse, a horse shot or something. Oh, wow. I don't know what. It was some kind of horse shot he was taking, and he said that's what he could play seven games in a row, he said. <laughs> No, we didn't have any of that, but uh, I definitely have heard some teams and some guys have have a lot of stuff to keep them going. Uh, what's the craziest thing you saw over there? Anything like just like you know, you're kind of like walking, or, you know, you're kind of like standing there, like, oh man, this is this is something new. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can't really recall anything that was just completely eye opening. Um, just you know, some some of the driving you see on the street, it was, it was almost like it was straight over a video game, just cutting across lanes, turning, turning left from the far right lane or vice versa. Uh, I do remember that everyone had uh, little camcorders in their cars to, to record just in case they get hit in an accident because the story goes that they, they would get hit and 
someone just drive off and that's that you call the insurance company. They say tough break. So stuff like that. Um, I remember seeing a ton of cars getting just uh, picked up. The, the, the parking over there is just almost non-existent in Nizhny. It's just uh, very tight. So you park wherever you can, but then they'll come and just take your car away. And it's not like a tow truck. Like it lifts the car up, puts it on top of the tow truck kind of thing because there's no space for the tow truck to get in. So I guess uh, on the streets, it was a little bit different. The KHL travel I've heard is also tough just because a lot of the cities are spread out. Um, so what was that like for you? Uh, obviously AHL, you know, you're traveling a lot too, and probably, you know, mostly in some coach buses too, but, uh, so how, what was that travel like? Yeah, that was, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we were kind of on the Western side of, uh, Russia there, but then when you went to the, to the far East there over in, uh, we went to China. So that was like an eight hour flight, I think. And our team, we always stayed on, uh, Moscow time, regardless of where we were playing. So we actually just never switched our phones over. So when we were over in China, you know, playing a, a seven o'clock game, it would have been say 11 in the morning, Moscow time. So we just played it like that. I remember being up in the middle of the night over there and the city was still going, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting for sure. Seeing some of those flights, like you, you'd fly, you'd sleep on the flight, you wake up, have kind of like a pregame skate back to the hotel you're just kind of like, what, what time is it even? But <laughs> you kind of get used to it. Um, you make the jump over to um, to the Swiss League after that. Uh, so what was that experience like going to the Swiss League? And uh, and why didn't you go back to the KHL? Uh, sorry, I'm just, we went to uh, Sweden after that. I'm oh, sorry, I'm sorry, Sweden. I'm sorry, yeah. I got I got the S here. Sorry, Sweden, yeah. My wife was pregnant throughout uh, my time in Russia. So at at the end of the season, uh, our first child was born and, uh, we decided we wanted to just kind of be in a more stable situation. So that's when we went to uh, Sweden and that, that was kind of the, uh, deciding factor. And what was the hockey like there compared to, you know, us or even the KHL? Uh, KHL was more open, uh, very high skill guys try and plays all over the ice. Uh, sometimes very high risk, low reward players kind of thing. Uh, Sweden would always be complete opposite. Uh, very defensive, a uh, lot of, lot of chipping in uh, or turn back. Um, it, it was, uh, it was tightly checked all that kind of stuff. So kind of the things you hear about Swedish hockey, it really was what, what do you expect? Um, and this last season, you just had a very good year in the German league. Um, as I said before, in Ingolstadt, um, and you just re-signed with them. So congratulations on re-signing with them for another year. And, uh, and I'm reading a bunch of stuff from, uh, German hockey things. that are saying that, you know, you're a top five defenseman in the league now. Yeah, we, we had a really good year, our team. Um, it was, it was a good situation for, uh, me and the family and, uh, a great group of guys. So uh, when you're playing on good teams, it's kind of easy to stand out sometimes. And I think that was kind of a case of uh, what was happening this year. But, uh, you know, I certainly thought we had the team to, to win the championship. We ended up losing in, uh, you know, best of three series because of COVID. But we lost in game three in the semifinal to the team that ended up winning. Um, we, our team kind of ran out of gas a little bit, but we were right there. So, uh, looking forward to going back and having another chance at a championship. So talking to a lot of guys who have played overseas, a lot of them think that the German league is the uh, fastest growing league skill wise. Um, that, you know, the, I guess where they were five years ago, where they are now, and you can see in the international team as well. Germany has become a better international hockey team as well. Uh, so what did you think about the skill and the level of play over there? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, the roster construction is kind of like uh, 50-50 between imports and German players, a uh, little bit more uh, German. But uh, the skill is there. Uh, I think the German hockey is doing a really good job of developing their players and uh, their youth programs are pretty pretty good. And you can see the success they're having at the international level is, is because of that. 
now going forward, do you see yourself ever trying to come back to the U.S. and playing, or do you think you'll probably play out most of the rest of your career over in Europe? Well, as a bedman, I'd probably say mostly over in Europe, but, you know, you never know what happens. Uh, just looking forward to kind of one year at a time. That's kind of how I've, I've always uh, taken the career. Um, but, again, that, you know, that dream to win a Stanley Cup is still there for every every hockey player still playing. So, um, as of right now, looking forward to competing with uh, our team in, in Germany there to tr- try and win the Dell. And, uh like I said, just take the year by year. What league do you think fits your skill set the best as an offensive defenseman? Um, you know, there's a lot of good leagues that can can uh, allow an offensive defenseman to flourish. Uh, you know, I, I still actually think the American League suited me pretty well. Uh, in Syracuse, we had you know a really smart coach, great hockey mind, and you know, when you're playing for good coaches, it's really, really easy to just be in the right spot almost because you just know where you need to be, and where your teammates are going to be. So it's easy to make those plays. So I, I wouldn't say so much a, a league, but, you know, the right coaching staff, that, that really helps the guy. But if you want to say one league, uh, you know, I, I do think the German league is pretty conducive to my style of play. Uh, I think Russia would probably be the same, KHL. Uh, they're looking for their D-men to make plays. and You know, that's what you try and do. So those are, those are the two probably. Out of all your years, what is the craziest thing you've seen on, I'm sorry, off the ice, either prank wise or a locker room kind of deal? Uh, probably just, uh, I remember, in, I think we were in college. We, uh, completely took one guy's uh, furniture uh, in the bed, everything out of his hotel room and put it in somebody else's. So he went back to his room and there was nothing there. Just something like that. I'll just goofy things, nothing, nothing damaging or anything like that, but just making the guy walk into his room and no, no bed, no, no chairs, table, TV, all that's gone. (laughs) And what was the biggest adjustment from you uh, just leaving? You know, you played almost your entire hockey career here in the Northeast when you, you know, from college on um, heading overseas. What's the biggest adjustment for you personally um, playing over there? Uh, I guess just kind of, you know, you're on your own a little bit more um, through college and then being on the Northeast. I was always kind of close to you know, my wife was over with me and then, uh, her family's on the East coast too. Uh, I actually went over to Russia by myself. Uh, she, she was pregnant at the time that she came to visit a few times, but you now I remember being on that plane heading over to Russia. I'd never been overseas. I'm just like, well, here we go. Kind of thing. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I remember landing in the airport. None of my luggage shows up. They have a, uh, a guy with the team that doesn't speak English there to pick me up and, just like wow, great start. <laughs> and what's it like for like equipment? You gotta bring all your equipment over there all at once, or can are they uh they teams bring it in for you? Uh depends on the league, but uh in Russia I was bringing most of my stuff. They have outer stuff, so you know like pants and gloves, helmet, that kind of thing. Uh everywhere else that I've played, it's uh the, the team's providing. I know that's like a hit or miss depending on what league you're in. I, I've heard guys that you know they've they've gotten paid you know, for their equipment when they get there and then they have all this cash on them and they don't know what to do with it when they go through customs. Yeah, it's, that's more uh, Russia kind of, sometimes that's part of your contract. Like you pay for the, you pay for the sticks, the team reimburses you, that kind of thing. So it really is a team by team basis, I think. Uh, When you look back on your career right now, obviously you have a lot more of your career to play. Uh, but is there a moment or, or something that sticks out in your mind as, as a, one of those like memories that when you retire, you'll pass along to your kids and, uh, you know, and the rest of the family? Yeah, it, it probably definitely back to that uh, national championship game in college. Uh, you know, just that whole, well, the whole run we had that whole year. Um, right from the start, you know, we, we had a slow start and teams were, guys were thinking, holy smokes, this could be a long year to, the end of it where you're raising that trophy and 
you know, you're able to win that last game of the season. So that's always special. And that, uh, that certainly sticks out still. And that first preseason game you put with the Rangers, uh, what were the nerves like going into that game? You go in your locker room, you see the Jersey hanging there. Uh, what was that like for you? Just like emotionally, just, you know, kind of like seeing your name on an NHL Jersey. That was pretty special. Um, you definitely have some butterflies, but I was just kept telling myself, you know, what, like, like just go have some fun because not everyone gets that opportunity. And uh, it certainly was a lot of fun. Anytime I was able to suit up uh, in the exhibition games there. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we wish you all the best this year. And the Dell will definitely be paying attention to you. And uh, we'll be pumping your tires on Twitter whenever we see a score. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, buddy. Well, Thank you so much to Matt Bodie for coming on. It was great to sit down and talk to him. What a great guy. And we want to wish him all the best next year in his second year over in the German League with um, Ingolstadt. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, but I want to wish him all the best, and hopefully he continues to tear up the league over there. And who knows, maybe see him stateside again soon. Uh, but that does it for Episode 34 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please make sure you go check us out on all social media. You can find us on Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Broadway Hat Podcast. You can find me on Twitter. My personal account is at KHallNY for all New York Ranger updates. You can also please go and subscribe and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We are still working with the Alex Lemonade Foundation for, to raise money for every five-star review left. Um, on the the show's account, a dollar will be donated to the foundation. So please make sure you go on there and leave us a five-star review to help out a great cause. Please make sure you go follow the podcast on Spotify. You can also check us out on Google Play, on all Amazon products. Make sure you go check us out on Pandora. And, of course, our host network, Spreaker. And we will see you next week. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.